Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Web3 Frontier podcast. As you know, in this podcast, we explore the exciting world of Web3 by interviewing thought leaders, innovators, and creatives who are driving the industry forward. Um, in our conversations, we deep dive into the latest trends, ideas, and technologies shaping the future of NFTs, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and more. I'm so excited to have John Kraske here. How's it going, John? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited. Let's do this. Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. Reporting live from, from let's uh, do it. Dubai, correct? Dubai. Yes. Dubai, it's hot. Yeah, you got, you got casual drawn today because I was literally just out in the 110 degree weather, sweating like crazy. So my hair is a mess. So oh, man. I had to put the hat on. I totally understand. It's hot, man. It's hot. It's hot. And it's apparently going to get even hotter. So that's the crazy part. But wow. literally, you can't even walk more than a block or two and then just be completely drenched in sweat. So yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a stuff, man. But no, but yeah. We're, yeah, it's hot. And I just got back from Abu Dhabi. We just, uh, we just visited the F1 racetrack. So we're, we're in discussions about something super exciting there as well. Very Can't cool. Say much more than that, but uh, yeah, we're making a, a lot of inroads into not only the Dubai market, but the entire UAE and Middle East region. So That's incredible. Well, I would definitely want to get into that. For everyone viewing and listening, I just wanted to give a little background on who John is and, and what he does. And, and John and I are good friends. We've met on LinkedIn um, he's been very helpful in my journey within the Web3 space um, and definitely the guy to know. Uh, but a little bit about him. He is Director of Strategic Partnerships at Land Vault, which is a metaverse development studio. He's a top voice on LinkedIn um, with over 11 million views last year. I'm curious to know what the, the numbers are going to be this year, probably a lot more. Um, he has his own TV show called NFT Heat, uh, which I was actually featured on one of the episodes and really enjoyed my time. Um, he's also started a, a, a yeah, a you're on, yeah, that was an amazing episode. Yeah, we had a good time called Good Morning Web Three, where there are thirty thousand members and they host events all over the world. Um, so yeah, we're excited to dive in and just talk all things Web Three. But John, I wanted to first kind of start. I think it's an interesting place to dive into just to hear a little bit about your background and how you got into Web Three. Uh, I feel like you have a very unique story and really you know, took a lot of time to get to where you're at. So just would love to, to start at the beginning and hear how you got into it. I mean, the real answer is blind luck I got into Web3, but yeah, there was nothing <laughs> strategic about it. Yeah, I started my career in public accounting. I worked for KPMG, Price Waterhouse. Then I ended up working for Washington Mutual, which later got acquired by J.P. Morgan. That was like the first half of my career. But I was never really happy. I was in I was in accounting and finance, and, and it was never a fit. I, I remember the first day I was in public accounting, working for KPMG in San Francisco. I was auditing a, I think it was like a heart manufacturer company, and they had me doing accounts payable reconciliation. I was like, oh my god, is this literally the rest of my life? I was horrified. I was like, I spent all this time studying, and I was like, this is the rest of my life. So then, basically, I spent the next six, seven years trying to figure a way out of public accounting and finance. So I decided to get my MBA at the University of Southern California in the Business of Entertainment program, hoping that was that would be the catalyst to sort of pivot my career in a different direction. That unfortunately did not work the way I had planned. I did an internship at Disney and finance again. I felt like I was working at a bank. I didn't do a good job of getting out of like this resume of accounting and finance experience. So it was uh, not what I expected. It was a very expensive investment. And obviously, when you spend 150000 on your MBA, you have to go back and work, right? So, I mean, right, it wasn't... Right. I definitely want to, I was, try, I was trying to do something different, but I also had all these 
financial considerations as well, right? Because the, the MBA is not cheap. So, so basically, then I just started kind of taking jobs that were very similar to what I did before, which was not was definitely not the move. So I actually did during the pandemic, I wrote a book with the, my friend, Freddie, we never actually released it. But basically, sort of the MBA playbook on all the things not to do. So I, I should I should release that book, because I can tell you all the things not to do with an MBA. <laughs> but I then like had an interview with a, a famous interior designer, it was like 2008, the whole uh, economic crisis was starting to happen, uh, all the all the failed banks and all that craziness. And I took the job just because I need to take a job. I thought it was creative and entrepreneurial. So I was like, all right, I, I can try and kind of like get into this for a little bit. Long story short, I ended up being in that space for almost a decade. So wore a bunch of different hats. I worked for the interior designer for the Obama White House for almost seven years, Michael Smith. I was a CFO. I, I was uh, at one point kind of like a interim CEO. I was overseeing like operations. I was wearing a bunch of different hats. Again, that was not what I wanted to do with my career. Then I worked for a tech company for a brief moment and then moved to New York, worked for another interior designer and then ended up getting fired because I had like had no business being in that space that long. I'd wanted to leave for a long time. So I was trying to, I was trying to get back into something more entertainment technology focused interviewed everywhere microsoft that facebook your old employer mm-hmm. amazon i mean I, I was spending years and years trying to get a, a job at one of these more like pedigreed entertainment or technology companies and literally could not get a job to save my life i literally got rejected at every every company i would get interviews i could actually get a lot of interviews i was actually pretty solid at getting interviews but i could just never get the job i don't i don't know why it was just uh I don't think everybody's meant to interview, to be honest with you. I don't think some people are just good at interviewing. I don't think I'm good at interviewing. I think I'm, I'm actually good once you hire me. But in terms of interviewing, I'm just not, it's not my thing. I really hope that I never have to interview for a job again. So, yeah, because uh, I, I think after 20 years of, of, of failed, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of failed interviews and not never getting the job, that's probably a good idea. I just don't do that anymore. So so I got fired at the end of 2019. Then obviously the pandemic came, right? So the whole world shut down. Right. So I, I actually was kind of excited in a strange way because I thought this would be my opportunity to like the world would slow down. This would be the opportunity for me to reset and maybe catch up because I felt like I was so far behind in my career compared to everybody else, all my peers and people I got my MBA with and just former colleagues. First thing is I, I hired a person train all lost like forty pounds. So started with my my body. And then that also kind of affected my mindset. So got those things right. Then the last piece was trying to figure out my career. And just again, was applying to a bunch of different jobs. Really no strategy, to be honest with you. There was no strategy at all. Just applied I probably applied a thousand jobs on LinkedIn. And somehow one day I got an email from this company, NFT Genius, which was a Mark Cuban Ashton Kutcher venture back NFT platform. And they said they loved my resume. Didn't make any sense yep. because didn't know what an NFT was, knew nothing about crypto, really didn't have any tech experience. I had a brief stint for, uh, at one company, but it, it was you know it wasn't significant. So I didn't know why yeah. they wanted to interview me, but it was a form. It was, he was an MBA professor at Pepperdine. I went to USC. I guess that the whole MBA connection was one of the things he saw. I had a lot of experience, which was also very appealing to him. I had operations, finance, accounting business development, could wear a lot of different hats. So interviewed with him, 30 minutes, flawless. It was just an easy conversation. Kind of, uh, I was really excited. I was I was excited when I started learning more about it because it, was, it originally was supposed to be a music NFT platform. And I really was excited about the fact that like this technology could really impact the lives of creatives and musicians because I love music. And I feel like a lot of the musicians I love are not able 
to properly monetize the amazing work they do. And I, I know that uh, being able to monetize that gives them more fuel to create more great works and right. everybody wins. But uh, so it was exciting. So I guess at a very like human creative level excited me and it was almost kind of the job I'd wanted when I got my MBA 15 years before. Yeah. So I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is the opportunity. I actually, why I wanted to get my MBA was to help creative. So that's why I was able to really speak about it organically and it was natural. So it was something I was really passionate about. So that, that, I think helped with the whole interview process. And then I interviewed with the CEO and that was an easy conversation as well, but I actually didn't get the job. So that is crazy. So proves that I am. Oh, wow. But I didn't get the job, but they liked me so much. They said, we're going to make a spot for you. So, um, so that was the crazy part. It was just, I guess it was meant to be. Yeah. They just like, we like you so much. You're overqualified for the job, but we're going to make a spot for you. I got hired as a special project manager. I don't even know what that, I don't even know what that title means, man, but it's like very <laughs> ambiguous. Basically it was just like, Hey, we're going to have you do stuff that like we need you to do. Cause we don't have a full-time person for it. So I was, I was doing some product management stuff. I mean, I had no business doing that. I know nothing about product management. I was doing some project management. I was doing some business development. I even had me doing a little finance accounting, but I was pretty vocal about it this time. I was like, you know, I really like, I was like, I want to focus more on like the partnerships, business development stuff. So, so I just kind of really took it like an entrepreneurial approach to it all. I just started kind of, since I didn't have a job title, I started kind of not even asking without, you know, I didn't even ask them. I just started doing the things I wanted to do. Right. So natural on the business. So yeah. So I mean, LinkedIn is something I've always wanted to figure out. I never, never was able to properly monetize or optimize it because I was in luxury interior design and nobody really wants to hear about luxury interior design on like a, a mass scale. It's just, it's, I could have maybe done that, but it would have been a really heavy lift. So right. I was like, you know what? I've always been trying to figure out LinkedIn. Now's the time, right? So I was like, okay, I'm going to, uh, this, this NFT web three space is hot. Like this is a hot space. People want to hear about it. So I just started posting slowly on LinkedIn. I started getting some traction. LinkedIn eventually reached out to me. One of the creator managers said, Hey, are you interested in being our creator manager program? I was like, sure. I don't even know what this is, but they got me to that program. And then eventually I became one of their top voices. And that really helped accelerate some of my growth on the platform. And I love to write too. So that was number one, the first thing I did. Then like in grad, right after grad school, I started an events company. It didn't work out. It was a complete failure. I was like, you know, I like planning events. This seems like this Web3 community is new. It's nascent people. We're just coming like, we were kind of still coming in and out of the pandemic at that point. Right. But people had like a really desire to meet in real life. So I started slowly hosting some events. I started getting traction. Did some like curated breakfasts and dinners at Soho House and a few other venues. That all of a sudden just kind of caught wildfire. We did a few posts on LinkedIn, built our community over 30,000 members, held over 30 events around the world in places like LA, New York, Miami, London. Mm -hmm. Dubai, Tel Aviv. So that was the second thing I did. And then the third thing I started doing is I had a failed podcast during the pandemic. All these, all these things are all, I have prior failures to match up to my, my current successes. So I, love it. I, had, I had a music podcast. I had a music podcast during the pandemic called the Smooth Occasion Experience. Completely ridiculous idea. <laughs> dumbest idea ever. It was focused on, on, on the genre of smooth music. It could be any type of smooth. It could be country smooth. It could be electronic smooth. It could be R&B. It could be any type of smooth. Right. It was so dumb. But nobody, barely anybody listened to it. But I learned how to make a podcast. I got in the space and like I, I ran into Justin Shankara, who you know, who's my co-host. I, I serendipitously ran into him at SOAS downtown LA right when I first got in space. He jumped into a conversation we were having. I was having with somebody else about NFTs. And I was just like, you know what? This guy's like a professionally trained actor. He's, he's got, you know, he's like a voice actor. I was like, you know, maybe we should like, maybe we should do a podcast. 
and I had this experience, so I had to do it. So I pitched him on it. He was like, yeah, let's just try it. Let's do it. So we, we started doing the podcast basically in our closets, started getting a little traction, and then it got on the radar of this uh, company called Alter TV, and they decided to make it a TV show. So fast forward, I mean, you know, our initial downloads, I mean, it was stupid. They, they, they were literally like 50, 100, maybe a few hundred. It was, it was nothing significant. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's very hard to even make money on a, on a podcast in the first place. But totally. uh, Alter TV really liked what we were doing. They were looking for content. So then fast forward, we started working with them. And then all of a sudden we were getting like 150,000 views an episode. So like, it's just kind of crazy how that accelerated that quickly. So yeah, so basically I did all those things and that sort of created sort of my top of funnel, created my brand, you know, the yeah. events, the TV show, the LinkedIn, it, I all of a sudden started creating a brand and I became, I don't say I became more valuable to the company than the company was to me, which I never had in my career. I just, I used this opportunity in Web3 aside from the technology, it was just, the, it gave me the blank slate to really create my dream job. Right. And in that process, I've created my dream life. So I'm just super, super thankful for web three. Just the fact that I was able to be given a blank sl slate space was obviously, it's still very nascent kind of, it was, it was way more nascent, you know, a couple of years ago, right. still, you know, just a lot of money being thrown at different startups. And I just saw the opportunity. I was like, this is it. Like, this is my opportunity to do, all these different things. So I finally aligned all my superpowers with my career because I love building that. It felt like a job. I felt like I was always cheating to my desk and it it was taxing. Like that felt like work. Now what I do now doesn't feel like work. I don't, I don't, I wake up every day. I just do exactly what I want. It doesn't, I don't feel like I have a job anymore. I just do naturally what I love to do. So I'm just super thankful. I'm very lucky. Yeah. And then I get to meet amazing people like yourself, Justin Johnson, you know, my, my CEO, Sam Huber. Yeah. Charles Atkins, uh, my former colleague who now works at Aptos, Justin Shankarell, my co-host. The list goes on and on. Just so many it. amazing people that I met. Yeah, so super, it's all about the people. That's uh, like I was able to hang out with Kathy Hackle last week in yeah. New York. That was an amazing opportunity. She's amazing. I also met up with Akbar Ramid. It was really cool. You know him at the Fifth Column yes. PR. Super cool. Avery Akinini, Vayner 3. I mean, whatever. I could, I could name drop all day long. But yeah, yeah. amazing yeah. people. So uh, well, that's um, my favorite part of my job. Yeah, no, I'm I'm super stoked to like maybe dive a little bit into your perspective on the space. You're very well connected in the space to you know a lot of different people. You've seen a lot of companies. You've seen kind of the trends that are happening. And also, I think too, going back to what you said in building your career, you kind of done is better than perfect. I think in a lot of scenarios, you took certain skills um, that you may not have had before, and you just kind of try. You know, you jumped into it like the podcast or the events, you kind of just started doing it, right? And through, even though, you know, some of those things potentially couldn't, you know, wouldn't be super successful. I mean, they are, they ended up being successful. Um, you learned the skills of, of actually doing that. And then that benefited you and made you a better employee or, or more presentable, more marketable to companies that you would either want to work for or even start. So I just wanted to like give you kudos for that. I feel like you've probably seen it all. You're currently at Land Vault. Maybe we, we talk a little bit about you know, what you do at Land Vault and, and what Land Vault is, maybe some of the companies that they work with, and then would love to talk more about the trends within kind of Web3. Yeah, it is funny. I literally, I talked about everything except my main job, which is funny, but <laughs> yeah. all those three things lead up. That is my top of funnel. So I, I guess it's almost like plug and play now what I've done in terms of these relationships I've built. So I'm not trying to discourage like, like land vault or anything, but like I've just built these high quality relationships in the web three space. So it's kind of almost plug and play now, like, cause those three things are like literally what I need to do every, 
day in terms of my main job. But those all those relationships funnel up to Land Vault, where I'm director of strategic partnerships. We're one of the world's largest metaverse builders. So we build metaverse activations for big brands, typically big IPs. So we've done builds for brands such as MasterCard, Heineken. We did World of Women, which is a, a very successful yeah. Web3 native project. We're actually having conversations with a lot of banks and government entities right now. That's actually where we're seeing a lot of traction and interest. Uh, okay. So it's, it's super interesting. Um, yeah. And I recently relocated to Dubai with my CEO. We're really bullish on the not only Dubai, but the entire Middle East region. So we're building out this market because we believe this is where sort of the future is headed, not only in Web3, but the world economy. There was actually just even an article in the Wall Street Journal this past weekend talking about how Dubai, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, really all the money and power in the geopolitical landscape is moving this way. Over, I don't, I don't know if that number is exactly right, but I, almost a million Russians moved to Dubai in last year. Oh, yeah. A million. And these are Russians with typically with a lot of money. There's things crazy. And then Saudi Arabia is really... I don't know if it's like, I wouldn't say it's a sleeping giant, but Saudi Arabia is, I heard they're making somewhere between 500 million to a billion dollars a day. Like it's just, and they've been doing that for the last 30, 40, 50 years. I don't know. It's just insanity. So they're sitting on a ton of money. They want to definitely be a world leader. They want to catch up to not only where Dubai is, but I think they want to be on par with, you know, economic powers like the United States, China, Russia. So it's super interesting what's happening there. So that's one of the other reasons we came to Dubai because it's sort of the gateway to Saudi Arabia and developing those relationships. But I believe that the real opportunity in Web3 is Saudi Arabia, not only Dubai, but Saudi Arabia. That's, I think, really the big prize. But you have to definitely be in this region to develop those relationships because everything in this market is about relationships. So it doesn't even matter. You could have the coolest deck, best of business idea. doesn't matter. They they, they want to get to know you on a long-term basis. And these relationships could take years to build, but once they're there, then you're set because they definitely have the money and resources to help fuel not only Web3, any industry, really. So uh, yeah, it's, it's an exciting region to be in Dubai. I love Dubai. It's super clean, super safe. I haven't seen a homeless person the entire time I've been here. Oh, wow. Crime is almost non-existent. I've been able to leave my laptop at a coffee shop for four or five hours, come back, still there. So I mean, there's, there's stories where you can literally leave your phone, you can literally leave your phone, cash, everything keys just leave it on table nobody's gonna touch it that is the truth because they have really stiff penalties i don't think there's as extreme as people say but i think there's like three cameras per person here so it's, it's kind of crazy oh, wow. it doesn't even matter if somebody did steal it there's literally they literally have it on camera and they will go find that person that's how how crazy it is but it's very safe very clean but just like obviously the, the heat's the only kind of downside because that's why we have to wear a hat today this is i think this is the first interview i've actually done with a hat so there you go. You should feel honored. I'm digging it. Um, what What would you say? Yeah, you're digging it. <laughs> what would you say? Um, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the metaverse. I feel like there's a couple, you know, bigger companies. You know, Sandbox, Roblox. You know, the, the brands out there that yep. are kind of establishing themselves. Like, where where do you see where where do you think things are today, and where do you see things going as it relates to the metaverse? Like the second. We do at Land Vault. We have a, a protocol called the Matera Protocol, which we'll be launching later, I think later this year. I, I Don't quote me on that, but I, I believe that is the plan. But mm-hmm. almost like a HTTP WordPress layer to bring all these, because you mentioned Sandbox, you know, Decentraland, you know, yeah. Roblox, they're all, all those metaverses are closed. They're not interoperable. So we want right. to build a layer 
on top of, of these metaverses where they can be interoperable. And it's because we look at it honestly as like each of these is just like a, a website, right? So should right. be able to kind of flow from, you know, one to another. That's the vision we have. So we have, we have a product on top of what we're building, you know, all these activations we're building. That's probably our, our, our long-term focus is that, that product and just making things interoperable. But we've, um, we've just, even as a company shifted recently, we used to do a lot of builds in Sandbox Decentraland, but just based on feedback, brands and consumers, we're now doing more bespoke white label experiences mm-hmm. using Unreal and Unity, typically, you yeah. know, high, high performance game engines. And that makes a lot of sense for our company because we used to previously to be in Landball, we used to be a company called Atomex, one of the largest in video game advertising companies. So we've been around almost six years. So our ancestry is a, a video game studio. So this is not really that like crazy of change and strategy. But again, it's um, because the brands, they want hyper-realistic. They want something that just flows easily. Yeah. So that that is what we're doing. And it's exciting. We built this technology where basically you just have a link and you can share it on mobile because that's the other thing. You, you got to have mobile. Right. And we're in the process of acquiring an AI studio to basically accelerate the, the build times, what we're doing. So typically, you know, a lot of these builds right now maybe take four, six, eight weeks and this will accelerate the the build out by like 20 or 30 X. So, you know, oh, we'll wow. probably do it in just yeah a small fraction of time. That is our, uh, I guess, uh, inclusion of AI into our, you know, web three tech stack. Everybody, everybody now has an AI slider in their pitch deck. So <laughs> I've seen them all. We're not just throwing it in there just because we think it's going to sound cool and investors will throw money at us. It's actually, it actually makes a lot of sense for what we're trying to do. So yeah. um, we're leveraging AI to help accelerate what we're trying to do in web three as a company. So it's exciting. I love that. And would you say that, like, where do you feel like the quality is of some of these experiences within the metaverse, whether it's a brand or a creator, you know, do you think it's like up to par? Do you think the people that are, you know, going into these spaces are are happy and having a good time? Like what, what is your general take on, on what's being built right now? I guess. <laughs> um, I don't think they're gonna have a good time until we actually build out a few of these activations that I, I mentioned using Unreal and Unity. So I would say everything previous, probably not that good of a time. I, I mean, yeah. Geez, I, w- I want to be careful what I say, but you know, obviously, I tried to use the central land. It was clunky. I, I couldn't even figure it out. It was just not fun. Right. And then, yeah, sandbox. I mean, sandbox isn't even live, is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's tricky, but Sandbox is a strategic investor in our uh, our most recent Series B round, so they're actually invested in our protocol layer. So they're they're actually bullish on that. So that's an interesting uh, recent development. But uh, yeah, I would say the activations have not. I don't know if there's any that you could point to. Uh, obviously, that you know that's why Roblox is very successful, right? Because right. it's not really Web three. It's uh, that you know Roblox. I would I would say Roblox, Fortnite are the ones that have the users have a they have the data. They actually have user experiences that seem to be very uh, exciting and compelling. So I think that's what we're, we're striving for with what we're doing with Unreal and Unity, I would say. Yeah. But again, I'm not, I'm not using Roblox. I'm not the audience for Roblox and Fortnite either. So it's definitely, it skews very young, but everybody that has nieces, nephews or kids or whatever, and they see them, they're obviously in Roblox all the time. So I think trying to get something like that for like more people our age is like, obviously that's the goal. Right. And just make it easy. It needs to be, I think mobile again, everything needs to be like mobile, mobile, mobile. I don't know why web three was so not leveraging mobile early. I just think some of these companies may have had a better chance of surviving Mm -hmm. if they had leaned into mobile earlier, because as you know, most humans are on their phone all the time. Right. Right. All the time. 
Well, and even, yeah, even so on the I mean, NFT mobile, side, even on the NFT side too, like a lot of the big marketplaces did not, they weren't mobile first. It was like all desktop first. And then, you know, they would create the mobile app or maybe still don't even have mobile figured out. Right. Um, which is just so interesting. Yeah, I know. I know. NBA Top Shots, uh, that, they should have had a, a mobile product immediately. Right. I just don't know. I don't I don't even know if they, they may have one now, but that was just like a, that seemed like an easy opportunity because they, they had already kind of started getting some some early mass adoption. They, they definitely brought a lot of people in the space. Yeah, I don't get it. I just recently got some money sent to me to my Coinbase wallet. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'm not lying. It literally, it literally, I took a few hours to like just transfer the money out. And I mean, I kind of know what I'm doing and I, I'm just like, if I'm taking a couple hours and I'm in the space and I'm struggling with Coinbase, which is apparently super easy and clean. I just imagine just other people that just don't are not in the space and just they got other stuff going on. And just, it's crazy. It's a, uh, it's just so much friction still so much friction. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the user experience, I think all around just needs to be improved. And, and I think, I think maybe that's because there's just been so much focus on, like creating the, or like using the technology to solve whatever issue it is, whether it's in finance or art, or, you know, I think that there's just been too much focus on the code and the terminology. And now like, if we're going to get to mass adoption, we need to make it just really easy. So I agree. I think that there's a huge need to improve the user experience. Yeah. But I I mean, again, just, I mean, just look at what chat GPT did though. Super simple. You sign up with your Gmail, super, everybody signed up for a million accounts with Gmail. All right familiar customer journey on point one, you sign up and then, whoa, you have something that looks like Google search. You type in some words and it spits out some information. They yeah. literally like, it's like that, that customer journey is like literally less than a minute. Like they're like, it's a familiar customer journey. That is why that thing is caught on like wildfire. It's super simple. It's like, that's what web three needs to do. I don't even think it's necessarily, I, I don't know what that first real use case is, but web three has not figured that one out. So that's web three is, but then Let's also realize that, I mean, I was just literally, I just I have a post on LinkedIn I'm going to do, but mm-hmm. soon. AI started in 1950. It's been around for 70 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. 70 yeah. years. 70 years. So Web3 has not been around for 70 years. So, <laughs> so but I think Web3, <laughs> not, but I think Web3 will, will figure it out sooner than 70 years. But still, it's, you know, it's interesting to just think about that so yeah no it's really interesting and do you think that i mean it feels like like there's a lot of blending of ai elements in or you're starting to see ai elements blend into some of the web3 companies do you feel like that'll continue to happen more and it'll kind of almost yeah blend together they don't have a choice right because most of them probably have not built scalable business models have you know crazy burn rates they got to go back to vcs for money vcs are 100 like that is all they want to see ai probably anything now they're going to invest in at least you know in the tech sector yeah you're good you're going to have to but i think there's meaningful ways for every company in web3 to leverage ai to accelerate what they're trying to do so that that's what they should be trying to do is leverage the ai to accelerate building products for mass adoption so right right we really need that I want to shift gears a little bit. I feel like you have a really good perspective on just kind of this this trend that there are so many conferences out there, you know, that talk about Web three and I want to touch on this because I feel like number one, you've been to a lot of the conferences that are out there. Number two, you've hosted a lot of events and and you know what people the value you should be bringing when you either host an event or a conference. We'd love to maybe just tap into. I know you've done plenty of LinkedIn posts on this, but what are you seeing? today with the current conferences and, and 
you know, are they valuable to go to? Are they not? And what do you think maybe a, a, a conference, like a, a dream conference of your choice uh, in the future, if you could host one, what would that entail and what value would you want to provide to the people coming? Yeah, yeah. Interesting question. I guess first off is like, why aren't there more AI conferences already? That's my first yeah. question, but I mean, there still seems like there's a lot of Web3 conferences. It's crazy. I'm, I'm still getting bombarded left and right with requests to either speak, attend, it's a sponsor. It's it's crazy. There's still so many Web3 conferences. Yeah. I actually think yeah, the, the value of, of the of the Web3 conferences is really diminished over definitely over the last year. I think early on it served a purpose because again, going back, we came out of a pandemic. There was a need to really yeah. socialize again in real life. That's part of why that there's still so many of these things. I think that you know, early on, they were like, there were a lot of people that just want to socialize. So you're almost like just hosting parties, right? Right. And that's kind of what the vibe was at a lot of them. I mean, it's funny, like, look at Bitcoin Miami was this past week, apparently. I mean, did you even hear about it? I remember I used I to hear about it all the time. That was like, I, it. they didn't promote it. Yeah. No one's wrong about it, I guess. Yeah, they didn't do it. Wall Street Journal did an article last week and said that Miami was trying to distance themselves from the crypto thing. So it's very interesting. Yeah. So that maybe they jumped into it. So yeah, so Web3 conferences now, I don't think they serve a ton of value. I just literally was talking to my CEO about this earlier today. It's just, I think you have a better chance of doing what we did. You came to, you've been to a few of my events, but something more curated, like a VIP dinner where you take 30, 40 top thought leaders, different brands, different, you know, companies, different verticals uh, within those, uh, those industries and have them just kind of come together and host a really cool, you know, experience where people are maybe meeting people that they normally wouldn't meet. So I think that adds a lot of value. You can develop high quality relationships with those, put thought into who's there in that room. I think those add a yeah. lot of value. Curation's key at this point. Something small and targeted, I think, is what I'm leaning more into. The big events are okay. I, if I did have to do a dream conference, because that was, that was the last part of your question. Yeah. I still think there is an opportunity. I've always, I think my dream conference on Web3 would to be figure out, I, I don't know if it's the text there yet, but to figure out a way to bring some of these creatives that this technology was supposed to help in the first place and have that like conference benefit them and expose them and really give them exposure to me. Cause I mean, I'm, I don't want to really pinpoint any specific conference, but you know, we, we see all the same stuff on our feed and then I see the same people over and over again. I'm like, who are these people? I don't even know what they do. Like, I literally don't even know what the hot these people do. They're right. speaking. I'm like, I do not know. And I've even met these people. Still don't even know. Literally, I can talk to them for an hour. I don't know what they do. And, and it's great. And it's kind of clickish and it's cool and whatever. And great for all you, you know, as part of this like cool in crowd of like people that like nobody knows what you're doing or talking about. But I don't think, I think some of these people that we're talking about all this inclusion and community are just full of it. They're just, they're all self-serving and they're not trying to benefit. Like, what, what about all these musicians? You're a music guy. I mean, like, like there should be a conference like benefiting all these music. There's so many musicians that I love. My favorite music's mostly independent artists. Yeah. Like, how do you figure out a way to create a conference that really benefit them, get them on the radar of the right people and build their fan base and yeah. help them learn about the technology? So uh, not only musicians, but, you know, you could stand up comics, you could do you know, artists, even actors, whatever, you know, th there's, there's a way to to do something really cool to benefit those people. So I would want to do something yeah. meaningful and impactful to really help the people that I feel like they've been forgotten. I mean, do you feel that way? I mean, I feel like there was that excitement about, we were talking about community and artists, and I, I feel like we've gotten away from those people that 
we were supposed to be helping in the first place. I mean, I feel like they're not even being talked about that much anymore. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think you bring up a really good point. There isn't really a conference out there within this space that's focused on a particular industry or solving a particular problem. I think it'd be so cool to have a, a music slash blockchain slash NFT conference that was just solely talking about the use cases of how to use this technology to, imp- you know, gain more value from your art and you know, utilize new platforms like, you know, that are out there. I think so. That's a really good concept. Yeah. I mean, I, I toyed around with it with Charles Atkins. We were trying to do something. I think we were going to call it like NiftyCon or something. That was the idea. But yeah. I mean, there was something we wanted to do something like really cool. I still think that opportunity is there. I think that the need for in real life events yes. is going to even be greater than even before because everybody's leveraging AI now and you're just going to have bots talking to bots. I mean, you have people, you know, to said, I mean, half these people are now posting on LinkedIn with, with AI and then eventually people are going to figure out how to have their AI bots talk to those posts and whatever. And then eventually you're just like, who are humans even talking to humans anymore? So right. I think desire and the need for re- in real life will become even greater, I think. so. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a really good point. So as we wrap up here, I want to ask one last question. Um, I always like asking my guests this because it's just interesting to, to hear their take. But would, would love to, to have you give just one prediction of what you think will happen in the next, let's say, two to three years uh, within this space. It could be a, a, you know, a trend. It could be a change in direction from a specific company, whatever it may be. We'd just love to get your take on a trend that, uh, or, or something, a prediction that you have for the future within Web3. I am writing a book that's coming out and you're actually going to be featuring it called The Future of Community. So I think the future of community communication is like the big trend. And I think you'll enjoy this because you come from Facebook, Meta. But I I really do believe social networks are going to change in the next two or three years, the way we communicate. I think they're going to become more bifurcated, more focused. Yes. Because right now, obviously, they're very very general. I think they're going to get much more targeted, much more niche. I I don't know who's going to have that winning platform, but I I do believe that the way we engage on social is going to become much more bifurcated, much more targeted, much more impactful. I think that could be super exciting. And I think we'll talk about that in my book. So yeah, that would be my prediction. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. Well, I've really appreciated you coming on the show. I think you shared some amazing insight. Um, where can people follow you? You want to, I'll definitely have some links. <laughs> where can people, I mean, where can people follow me? I yeah. mean, I would yeah. say LinkedIn. I mean, I, I would love them to give me some love on my Instagram. I yeah. finally, dude, big, big accomplishment for me. I finally hit a thousand followers on Instagram today, yeah. which is crazy. It, it, it took me so much work to get a thousand followers on Instagram. Whereas obviously on LinkedIn, I'm almost close to 60,000 now. And it's, it's funny because we all on different social platforms struggle. Like, I think we all have that one where we struggle and just don't understand it. And right. like, you excel at another one or so. Yeah. For me, Instagram was, is still a, like complete struggle. So I just, I got a thousand, but I can see like the work that other people would maybe have on a LinkedIn to get to that number. That's why they're so proud. So it is weird. Now I was always like, Oh, like somebody's proud to get a thousand on LinkedIn. I'm like, what a joke. Like I have 60,000 almost like whatever. <laughs> but now, now I realize, like, uh, you know, like the, the shoes on the other foot. I was like, Oh wow. That's, that, that's probably quite an accomplishment. Cause it just like Instagram was like such struggle. So yeah. So LinkedIn, I'm John J O H N Krasky K R A S K I. And then same um, on Instagram, just John Krasky. Awesome. And that's, yeah. I mean, I have a Twitter, but my, my Twitter is kind of, I just literally, uh, have my LinkedIn posts just feed into my Twitter. So I can't even say I'm super active, but I, 
I, I at some point maybe I'd spend some more time on Twitter, but I, I kind of just like LinkedIn, Instagram. Those are those are my channels, and I, I'm really good. If you want to try to get a hold of me on LinkedIn, comments are probably the best way. And then Instagram, if you follow me and DM me, it's actually the workaround. So I mean, and it's cheap. It's a cheap luck for me to try to boost my Instagram profile. But yeah, like literally, the people that usually get a hold of me the best are the ones that just like do the the, the end around and just start following me on Instagram because I just don't have as much activity or attention there and just like much to manage. So there you go. Well, let's, there, there's the pro tip. Get a goal to get John to at least. 1050. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 1050. And I, I am not, and I, I've, I've always been tempted. I've had many people tell me to buy followers on Instagram, but I'm Don't not going to do, do it. I didn't buy followers on LinkedIn because I don't think you can. Right. Uh, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cheat, cheat my way on Instagram. I want to keep it all nice and clean and uh, authentic, organic. So that's, that's the way we're going to do it. Yeah. So, no, I appreciate that. Well, I'm glad that you were able to come on. Enjoy the rest of your week. We really, uh, loves the conversation. I'm excited for people to hear this. And if you listen to the episode this far, please, you know, like, sh- you know, comment, share this episode, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps uh, spread the word. And um, yeah, thanks, John, for coming on. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Amazing opportunity. To thank, always thankful uh, for the opportunity to come on and uh, talk about my experience and then thankful for you as well with all the great stuff you're doing so I think it's an amazing show and definitely going to promote the hell out of it for you and hopefully more people uh, listen and hopefully more amazing guests come on and excited to have you in my book soon so yeah no I appreciate that appreciate that enjoy your rest of your week man all right Yeah, I mean, I, I had toyed around with it with Charles Atkins. We were trying to do something. I think we were going to call it like NiftyCon or something. That was the idea. But I mean, there was something we wanted to do something like really cool. I still think that opportunity is there. I think that the need for in real life events 